sit down, take a chew and chew my money till we get it. Till we get it. Paul Wall in the Coopers, what was they talking? Money speak, all that bullshit, keep it on the side. You're now entering the Fart Locker Podcast with JT and Robert. On this week's episode, we're joined by a very special guest, UFO investigator Chuck Zakowski. Is the Crocs store still open? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, have you ever worn those? Uh, yeah, I'm wearing a pair right now. Do you wear the little uh, pins that you stick in the circles? They're like little decorations. Oh, the charms? Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about it, but I'm not sure if I should pull the trigger. Um, I absolutely say you would. Like, even before I worked here, I still wore Crocs just because of how comfy they were. Well, I'll cut right to the chase with you. Do you believe in aliens? Alrighty. Um, aliens? Well... I won't deny that they won't exist. I think there is a possibility they do, might exist. Okay. Okay. Have you ever had any type of experience that could lead you to personally believe uh, that you know aliens are real, or that you might have experienced anything you know extraterrestrial or paranormal? Um. Well. Not me personally, I mean, there certainly have been accounts, you know, online that people have experienced ex- um, paranormal stuff. Mm-hmm. I did watch The X-Files growing up. Okay. So, Do you know about Chuck Zukowski, the, the UFO nut.com guy? Um, I do not. I've never heard of him until you mentioned his name. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, well, um, I ended up having a few hour conversation with him, and I wouldn't say that it made me believe in aliens. Um, but, uh, I, I, I don't think that everyone that believes in aliens is now unreasonable. I think that's kind of the opinion that I had based on his and I's conversation. All right. Do you believe in ghosts? Um, ghosts, you say? Well. Don't hang up on me. That's so rude. I heard um, her. I very honestly, I would really like to talk about this just because it is an interesting thought. It's just that I am in the middle of work right now, sure. and I do have to help customers. Sure, so. sure, sure. When's the best time to call back? I'm sorry. What was that? When's the best time to call back? The best time to call back the store? Yeah, just to chat about uh, aliens and stuff. You seem cool. Um, give me one second. Okay. Tomorrow when we open at 10 o'clock, if you want. Yeah, if you want to chit-chat. That's when we're slow. Yeah, that's when we're slow, so. Okay, if that's when you want to chit-chat, we can chit-chat. Alrighty. Alright, sounds good, Chris. It's nice meeting you, uh, didn't catch your name. Satchel. Satchel Rhinestone. Alrighty. Uh, well, thank you for the interesting conversation and little bit of break from my work yeah thanks for the advice about crocs no problem i think i'm gonna do it i think i'm gonna try them out direct where's this michael well howdy doody michael how's it going Eh, i've seen better days and i've seen worse but i've never seen eyes as beautiful as my fiance's it's the truth of it hey i'm hearing that lumber is 
uh, over 400% the price that it was about a year ago. Yep. Well, let me ask you something. What would you say if I told you I would bring you a couple tons of lumber and we just do a cash deal and y'all can sell it at whatever profit you're looking for and you just cut me a little slice? Well, that'd be great if we sold lumber. Yeah, well, let's make it happen. I got a neighbor and he's an idiot. He's got a brand new fence up, 12 feet high, and it's on my property line. So I'm going to rip that bad boy down and I say, you and me, we get some money for it. What do you say, big guy? Uh, what if I could? We're actually... Uh... Uh, a chain, man. I've got a corporate office and everything, so... Yeah, we can keep this out of this, brother. You, me, <laughs> we'll just use the space. And if anyone asks, they'll say, we, we, you know what we'll play? Dumb. Uh, yeah, I just, man, I, I don't have the ability right now. Hey, come on. You don't think my neighbor's an asshole? I, I mean, Some a sort lot of people are. I have no doubts about that. Let me but... tell you something. He does cocaine five nights a week. You can freaking smell it from where we're at. It's horrible. It's an absolute mess. He, he's yelling at his dog. His, he has a dog screaming at it, top of his lungs. And then this ass jack decides to throw up a 12-foot fence across my property line. Not going to happen. <laughs> right? Tear it down. Tear, I'm tearing it down. I'm going to bring it down there. I got a, tr I got a, I got a truck and a truck trailer. Uh, VA Chevy, baby. Ain't no issue on them tons. Literally tons, though. It's stretched a quarter mile. Well, I mean, we got the races going on, you man. You probably find some in the parking lot to sell to. Well, let's do it. I mean, bring it, bring it on down to the mall. I won't stop you. You ready to do this? You want in on it? I can see it from your voice, man. You want to make a little bit of money. And my jackass neighbor, if you met him, you'd want to take his money too. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I got no problems making money, but I, I got priorities to the store. Yeah, yeah. You and me will make a little money on the side. I mean, you want to come down and sell in the parking lot, I, I can't stop you, man. Yeah, we can help each other out. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Well, now the, the, the mall people might have a different story. We'll stop them. That's, you're my inside guy. I got a guy at Crocs, I just talked to him. Uh, we don't have a Crocs outlet anymore? Yeah, I called the Crocs guy, I'm talking to you, and I figure the three of us, we could stand up to any type of issue that we got, kind of hawking these out. I mean, I've talked to security people. Ah, oh, come on. They're a paper tiger. Well, this is true. They'll blow right over. Reactionaries. Yeah, I mean, they'll get on the phone, though. Yeah, I will, too. I got a phone. I got a satellite phone. I got two trucks. I got a freaking dead pit bull from when I was 15. Taxidermy that I keep in the back of my car. I got everything. Uh, I got all the tools and more, brother. I got two live pit bulls, but... You can barely tell it. They're like 17 years old. Well, we'll bring them. Put them in the mix, too. <laughs> uh, my wife would kill me on that. Hey, we can, we'll leave corporate and your wife out of this lumber deal. But let's do it. <laughs> I mean, come on down if you want. That's what I'm talking about. You and I will set up a slab outside and we'll split the money. I got a guy from Crocs. He's just going to run a little security. But we're going to cheat him out of his share. I don't trust him. I talk to you, and you're a trust. I can. I tell by your voice you want to make a little bit of money, right? I mean, who doesn't? That's, who doesn't? That's why yeah. I'm here working, right? Yeah, that's why we slab out this lumber for the boys. We're gonna make a little money on it. There you go. All right, all right. That's what I'm talking about. All right, and you gonna come help me tear this fence down? Well, I can't. I'm stuck here till uh, eight o'clock. I'll pick you up eight fifteen. Got a few beers and a joint, and we'll rip down this fence. 
I got flood lamps that line my property. It'll be in brightness. All right. All right. I'll see you in a few hours. All right. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon, big dog. Yeah, we don't sell items like that except at our rummage sale. We give clothing free to families. Oh. But we don't have any life vests. Awesome. We don't have any life vests. Well, okay. Let me run Thank something you. past you real quick. Okay, sure. So I have this uh, neighbor, and he has a wife and three kids. And the three kids okay. play basketball. They're all just as sweet as can be. Uh, now the adults. Uh, they are just absolute pain in my hiney. Uh, would there be a way for us to give clothes to their kids and then some sort of uh, disease-infected blanket to the adults? Is that something we do here? We can give clothes to the kids, but their parents have to come get the, okay. get the clothes. Well, how can we... That sounds good. How can we help the children and hurt the parents? But not, like, actually hurt. Just make them, uh, like, sad or nervous. I can't. Okay. I can't. Who does we that don't. there? We don't do that. I don't have any idea. Oh, there's no one over there that takes care of that? No. Okay. No. Well, I should tell you something. We just provide free clothing for families, okay? This is Satchel Rhinestone from Newsweek, and I was doing a little bit of gotcha journalism, and you passed. Okay. Yeah, so you passed the test. You're actually going to get a certificate in the mail delivered to you guys. Uh, Thank you for okay. not having malice or ill intent, and keep giving away clothes. Okay, thank you very much. Hey, anytime. Hope to talk to you again soon. Hey, hey, is this the mule one? Yes. Okay. Uh, do you guys have a patio with donkeys and mules on it? What was that one? Do you have a patio with donkeys and mules? Um, no, we are actually redoing our patio, so it's under construction right now. Okay, well, I don't mind that one bit. Yeah, come on by. Yeah, can I bring a couple donkeys and mules, or is it is it a clear sport? <laughs> are they asses? No, no, no. I, hey, I'm the only ass in the bunch, I'll tell you what. Uh, so <laughs> we're in town. Uh, I'm actually hurting kind of an honest group of kids. They play basketball on donkeys. Are you familiar with the sport? Wait, you're what? I, I have a group of Mennonite and Amish Reformed kids. They uh, they play basketball on donkeys. Are you familiar with the sport? No, I'm not. Okay, well, I'm a coach, and we're coming by. And one of them, he, he, he can't get away from his donkey for more than a few minutes without... Hey, I'll tell you, that donkey sure becomes an ass. So how about a basketball team? There's, there's eight of them uh, and our donkeys. Are, are we good to go in the patio out there, even though it's under construction? There's nowhere to sit outside. Well, we'll sit on the donkeys. You can't sit on the donkeys. No, our own donkeys. Like real donkeys? Yes, ma'am. We're part of the donkey basketball sport team. Are you fucking with me right now? That's a real sport. Google it. I'm, this is Satchel Rhinestone. I'm an absolute legend in that sport. So you're going to bring real donkeys on our patio that's under construction? Eight of them. And we're going to have Amish Mennonite kids riding on the back because they play basketball. For you can bring the kids in, but you can't bring the donkeys in. Well, the donkeys and the kids will be outside on the patio. But there's no room for you on the patio because it's under construction. Like people are welding now. and 
We'll be there huh? in a half hour. It's fine. We'll just sit outside. But it's under construction, hun. There's like welding going on and cement. Doesn't bother us one bit. Well, we're, you can't bring the donkeys on. You can bring everybody else. Yeah, yeah. We'll all come by and the donkeys aren't going to come inside. We're going to sit outside with the donkeys. Um, I don't understand what you're saying. I guess we'll see you when you get your... <laughs> it's not a problem. We're riding up right now. We're in formation. Okay. Bye. All right. See you in a bit. So you've had this interest for a long time. I, I want to know what, uh, how'd you first start really investigating the paranormal and the UFO as like a, a serious hobby? It's something that you said, I want to research. I want to know about this from, you know, an intellectual standpoint past the point of just general curiosity. Um, as long as I can remember, mm -hmm. um, I'm reading this right now. No, <laughs> 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 no. Um, as long as I can remember, I've always been interested in UFOs. And um, it goes way back. I was uh, I was born in a small town in, in in Arizona, Stafford, Arizona. As as it turns out later on in my life, when I was doing investigations uh, on Roswell, because I was originally I was a Roswell investigator, it turns out that the flight path uh, going across Arizona uh, in, into where the debris site is cruises right over. Uh, Safford and, and Marenzi area where where my mom uh, was born and uh, and I think you know when I was a little kid that I actually saw something because uh, my window uh, you know my bedroom window overlooked the Graham County mountains and I could see the mountains and I one time I remember seeing a light shooting by now uh, but you know it's been so long ago that you know you always question yourself did I really see that but I kind of remember it uh, as as years go on, and as I got older, and my mom would, would just open up about some things, um, she always talked about she'd have dreams of, of floating, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, floating, you know, through the house and stuff. Well, as I got older and got, a, got serious into UFO investigations, because before that I was just doing a lot of research and stuff as a kid, but when I actually started getting involved in investigations, I had a nice talk with my mom and and she told me the, you know, that she remembers when she was like four, three or four in Marenzi, Arizona. She had, um, her family had three boys and three girls. When she got married, we had three boys and three girls in our family, mm -hmm. too. So that was kind of interesting. But there wasn't enough room for her to sleep. You know, she didn't have her own bedroom. So they put her out in a small bed in the hallway. And she actually remembers a couple of times where uh, she'd wake up late at night and she'd see little humans walk by and uh and i thought that was really interesting now you know i'm i'm her son and you know when she's telling me this stuff you know you're not gonna call your mom a liar <laughs> yeah. but she you know that happened a couple times and, and back then they weren't really considered grays or anything but she just remembers little people and that's what she remembers as a child these little people walking around and and when i started looking more in, in, into that it turns out her sister my aunt uh, she also had a sighting uh, coming from uh, when actually she after she got married and, and had a couple of kids and my cousins, uh, they were traveling back from, I think it was San Pedro or Long Beach back into Arizona. Back then, 
you know, I think it was Interstate 40. I don't think 10 was open yet. I think it's 10. Anyway, in the middle of the night back then, you know, the cars only travel about 55 miles an hour. Yeah. And they, they pulled off the side of the road. They didn't have rest areas. And uh, they pull off the side of the road on a, on a ranch road and they get away from the highway where it's safe and they black out, right? And then, uh, you know, my uncle would, would sleep for a couple of hours and he'd be on the road again. Well, while he was sleeping and her kids were sleeping in the back, she was dozing and she looked up and there was an alien staring in the, in, in the window of her vehicle and a couple of them in the background. And uh, she's always talked about that. So um, I can't tell you, but it sure looks like that, you know, my family has had previous influence before I was born. When you interview abductees and people who like experience alien encounters, I think you, you, you classify them in two different groups, abductees and encounterists. Well, um, well, abductees are people that, that are taken. Right. And, and encounters are just people that have encounters. Um, I've had an, uh, an encounter a uh, couple different times. Where, and and the, the, one of the coolest ones was in 2016 on July 3rd. But then when you talk to people who, who claim to be abductees like Travis Walton, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that guy was actually taken on board a ship wakes up and you know he out of everybody that i've ever investigated and and i know travis and he knows me because we've been, we've lectured together a few times um he's the only person i know that i can honestly say that guy isn't lying and he's actually seen two species of aliens he's seen the grays mm. and he's seen what we call the tall blondes or or whatever you want to call them um but they're basically uh um uh, they're very, very pale. They have very dark, dark blue eyes. Their eye sockets are actually set out a little further than ours, and uh, and they're tall. They're, they're they're all about the same height. Um, I like to think they're oh, I think six, six one, six two, something like that. But they seem to be always about the same height. I think the, at one point people were calling them the Nordics too. Well, how many different uh, species of aliens do you know about? Interesting. That's a good question. Yeah, um, I'll tell you what, I've uh, living here in Colorado, uh, I'm in the Four Corners area, so I've been able to talk to Native Americans a lot. And I've talked to two separate Native American, I, I don't want to say elders, they, their job in, in, in you know, in their, their nation, I don't want to say tribe, but you know, right. they, they are the ones that, that retell the stories, because they're the ones that try to keep the stories going. The historians. You know, they didn't sit down and write books, right? So yeah. everything is, is told over and over again through the generations, and they're losing that now with the new generation, or actually latest. So I talked to two separate ones. One was Navajo, and one was Apache, and that was a couple years apart. And I, and I remember I talked to one, and I said, well, you know, I only think there's like two. Because, you know, just from, you know, uh, and, and one might be related to the other. Um, and then she said, well, we believe, and this was the Apache, mm-hmm. that there's there's four species that you have. Let me see if I can remember this now because it's been a while. Um, it starts off with the ant people, and the ant people are the greys. Now, it's not because they have big eyes. It's because they come, they come out of the ground. 
Okay. So mm. like, you know, like we've investigated underground bases like Dulcie and maybe Talos or whatever, but they come out of the ground. So they recall the ant people. Uh, then the other ones recall the blues. Now the, the, the blues are half the size of the, of the ant people Ant people about four feet. These are like two feet. They come out of like the mountains and the hills. Uh, the, uh, the blues take care of the planet. The ant people do their own thing, and, and they're not reliable. Then you have, I think they called them the snake people, and they turned out to be the reptilians, and they're taller. And they kind of control the ant people. And then you had uh, the giants, which I, we think now is the tall blondes, the Nordics, the, the same ones that Travis Walton has, has seen. And they're like the space police, let's say. Um, out of all four of them, the, the, the giants, they have a, like a condo here, but they usually don't stay here. The other, the <laughs> other just, three have bases. They have a vacation home. They summer yeah. on Earth and police yeah. a little. They summer yeah. a little policing, a little summering, but they're on Earth the minimal amount. But they, but they keep they keep the you know the snake people. They pretty much keep the reptilians in check, and so, and they'll punish them so so to speak if they if if they do anything negative. Now, when I talk to the Navajo, uh, you know, person, uh, a couple of years later, I mentioned the fact that oh, I I found out that you know blah blah blah. And they go, oh yeah, there's four. And mm. so I don't know if these two tribes have their stories have intertwined, but she basically told me something that the other person told me two, two years before. Now here's something that's even that's that that kind of ties it all in, in together too. When I was shooting Alien Highway a couple of years ago, we we're outside the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah, and uh, I interviewed a uh, uh, Ute Native American elder. Now, he had to get permission from the tribal council to talk to us. And unfortunately, and I'm so mad that they didn't make it on the show because he was such an awesome guy. Um, and I'm still mad at the production company for not doing that because that was a big part. But I was talking to him before we were on camera. Mm -hmm. And I was just basically saying, um, well, well, you know, you guys, you guys have Bigfoot sightings and stuff. He goes, he goes, oh, yeah, it's called blah, 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 you know. Right. Sasquatch is a Native American name, but I, and I forgot because I wasn't recording him. I wasn't, I wasn't writing any notes because we were just talking like we're talking now. But in, in, uh, he, he said there's, there's a Ute name that he called Sasquatch that's been around for a while. And I said, well, what about UFOs? He goes, oh, yeah, we refer to them as you know, another Ute name. And I'm going, wow, that even be, that's even cooler, you know, with the grace. He says, oh, you mean blah, you know. And then oh, he looked at okay. me and he goes, uh, I'm not supposed to say that. I'm sorry. Uh, you didn't hear <gasps> that. And um, I'm not supposed to tell you that. Please don't ask me that on camera. And I said, absolutely not. I won't ask you that on camera. But I said, so, but just between you and me, how long has that name? Is this generations? So the Ute tribe has a name for the gray aliens through generations. This is before the, you know, the Europeans even migrated to, uh, you know, to North America. So it's nothing new. To the Native Americans, uh, and, and they have uh, equivalent names for star travelers. You know, we call them star travelers. Whatever name they have, uh, you know, they call it basically. You know, those who come from from the stars. Although they didn't use the word star, you know, that's our name. 
the whatever they call the stars, sure. the lights but of the sky. You've whatever. seen a consistent story across your research where there's typically four species and they each play a similar role in these people's stories. Exactly, and that's at least with with the person I talked to with the Navajo and and with the Apache. Now, what's this? This is really cool about the blues, because the blues take care of, and this is what they both said: the blues kind of like take care of the planet, take care of the place. And if you look at the blues, those would be your leprechauns, those would be your Tommyknockers, those would be the Manahuni in Hawaii. Uh, we were in Hawaii a couple a few years ago. And uh, we were on the island of Oahu on the other side. And um, I was talking to an older gentleman, uh, older gentleman there. And I just, as I do every time I go somewhere, I always try and find someone I could talk to. And uh, he mentioned that the Manahunis are still being seen. And he pointed to the mountain they come out of. Now, my wife and I, even through this whole COVID thing, we were able to snake. Uh, uh, going to the Big Island of Hawaii this mm -hmm. last April. Matter of fact, if you go on my website, um, there's a video that I released uh, on May 18th saying what's flying over Hawaii. You know, I, I took that. my night vision camera there and I and I shot some things. And I think most of the stuff is explainable, but there's a couple of things that kind of like makes you go, huh? Well, now I'm on the Hilo side of the Big Island. I'm just randomly talking to people, and I said, so what do you think about the Manahunis? They go. We're still seeing something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we still get sightings. <coughs> and I'm going, that's cool. You know, now the Manahunis would be similar to leprechauns, you know, so or just, uh, Tommyknoxers. So I understand yeah. the kind of framework that we're working on here. Leprechauns, when we, when we hear stories like that from other cultures, we assume, oh, that's how they interpreted an alien interaction. Right, so like when you hear a leprechaun, you go, "Oh, well, that's a generational tale that's been passed down." When that's mm -hmm. more than likely a blue that I would experience today and understand as an extraterrestrial, right? Now, if you think about it, I mean, if it's one species mm -hmm. that's two feet tall or whatever, it's going to be called different names in different cultures. Sure. So, okay. and then it's going to be just like us with races. You know how we have, you know, the different races of of Homo sapiens. It would be the same, and they may look different. You know the uh, you know uh, a blue or whatever in, in you know uh, in Ireland would look different than one in Hawaii or one in North America. Um, the Tommyknockers, it's really interesting. I did I did some research on Tommyknockers. I actually don't know they, what a Tommyknocker is. A, a Tommyknocker is is equivalent to a leprechaun. Um, they would work the mines. Okay. Uh, and uh, and it, to be and there's a few mines out here. Uh, I did a an investigation at the Phoenix mine over in Idaho Springs a couple a few years back, and it was funny because I because I was doing an EVP session. And I said, uh, you know, is there any Tommy knockers here? Can you knock? And sure enough, I got a, I got two knocks back. And uh, now it could be something else, but you know, and it could just be a coincidence. But it was pretty cool, and um, and then I got a really good EVP way down in that mind where you, you know back in the day um if you got caught in in a in you know a cave in in a mine mm -hmm. well i guess they call it mining i don't know what they call it but you know you know part of the mine would collapse they would just leave the body there they would just it was just too much work to move all that rock and uh so you know there you are that's where you're buried and they go on digging because that's their job is to pull whatever they're out you know if it be silver or gold or whatever uh, and so we were a part of a mine that the, it, there was a collapse, you know, years and years and years ago. And 
and there were bodies there. Um, and that's why uh, I was there with a couple of other people, but um, I was doing the EVPs. Well, what's now, an EVP? Uh, oh, electronic voice phenomenon. Got it. Thank you. So if you watch any ghost shows, mm-hmm. right. uh, you know, they're the ones. Now, I'm going to be lecturing at a couple of paranormal uh, uh, symposiums, one in Minnesota and, and one in Las Vegas. It's going to be fun because there's only a couple of us UFO investigators and the rest are all, you know, ghost investigators. And I've done a few ghost investigations. Um, I'm not really – it's cool stuff. I'm not really up uh, on uh, a lot of the ghost shows on TV because it's, you know um, – it's they're not as good, you know. They're yeah. I, these production companies are just slapping these things together and using people. And my God, when you start using a cell phone and cell phone apps to do a ghost investigation, it's time to turn the TV off or turn the channel because those aren't real investigators, you know. Um, yeah, I, you could probably see around in my room. Um, well, probably not over there, but you know, if you look over here on this side, mm-hmm. and Oops. then down here a bit. You know, I've got about six thousand dollars, five thousand dollars worth of equipment in all different parts. Of, right. You know, it's it it doesn't it, it it you just can't do this stuff right. I mean, this is stuff that I've collected over the years, obviously, but you just can't do investigations with an app. Yeah. You have to you have to use, you know, this you have to use stuff that's you know associated with you know um, what you're gonna what you're gonna use. Um, now the uh, the video that I shot over Hawaii, um, I used the Psionics Pro, and um, I bought that before it went public, you know, or before it went to the public. But that's a thousand dollar camera, wow. just a little tiny camera, about so big. And then uh, my regular uh, digital camera is a P1000 Nikon, and that's a thousand dollar camera. But my God, that that camera was designed for bird watching, and you can you can shoot up to three thousand millimeter. Uh, no, it's a, it's not digital zoom, it's optical zoom, so the lens goes way out. And uh, it was designed for bird watching, but it's perfect for UFO watching. <laughs> awesome. Uh, that one I had to invest in. I had to put some money aside and, and eventually, well, but actually both of them I did. You know, you have to put some money aside because, you, know, you, you, yeah. you know, you don't get reimbursed for this stuff. Uh, but, you know, that's what you have. And then I have, uh, I, you know, I have the Xbox, uh, you know, uh, one over here camera, you know, for ghost investigations when you see the little stick figures, you know. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and I've got a DJI Phantom 4 drone over here, too. And I've got, I can't tell you how many EMF meters I have. So when you see a guy visual. just walk in with an iPhone and just kind of do it for entertainment instead of actual study, is that like a kind of like a charlatan in your field? Or do you see it as more of like, ah, this is just fun for him? Or do you see it as something that puts like a shade on your industry because i know exactly what you're referring to when you talk about oh those people that just walk in with an app i'm like oh i remember seeing a clip from that and that was clearly just entertainment do you see that in a kind of a negative light i do see it in a negative way because um you know i consider myself a serious field investigator with the amount of time i've put in the amount of money i've put in you know and even down to the vehicle i drive to be able to get me to the places that i need to go and then I see somebody walk in on, on these TV shows with an iPhone and an iPhone app that they probably spent $8 for. And I'm sitting here using an EMF meter that I spent $250 for, you know, the more of a app because and, – and the iPhone apps are just software-driven apps. Yeah. And, and, and some of the other materials that a lot of ghost investigators use are charlatan tools like the Ovilus. 
You know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a ghost show where, you know, they, they ask a question and then the little box comes back and, and, oh, yeah. and answers it, right? And then, they, and then sorry. it'll even, it'll glow. They even, they even add a, a really cool voice chip to make it go, you know, death. Yeah, well, they, they use that like every episode of Ghost Adventures, which is like the the really big series. And, oh yeah, oh yeah. And like I've I've seen them use some pretty serious stuff. Like you mentioned the the Xbox, uh, with the kind of like the 3D stick figures. But every yeah. episode they use that thing where it's like they're asking questions and it'll come back in that robotic voice, like you know, am here, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and let me tell you a little bit about that. That is a charlatan tool. That is a toy. It does not work. I, I, and I apologize to any of your listeners out there going, but, but, no, no. Before you, you, you say but for the third time, let me explain. <laughs> and, and I'm a microchip designer. Uh, uh, I, I, I design on the graphics side. I'm an IC mass design engineer, and I've been doing that over 30 years. And I've been in projects. So you know uh, your tech. I know my tech. You know, yeah. I've, done, uh, I've been on projects from Spice Satellites to LiDAR systems, which is autonomous that I've just been working on at a company now for the past year, autonomous driving, that, that's, that's called a, a, you know, a LiDAR systems. And, um, but let me tell you about the obelisk box, okay? Now, what that box is, it's, there's a memory chip on board that whoever designed it will load, let's say, 500 names, okay? Now, the box itself will pull that name off depending on how they design the box and the software. They may have a barometer setting. They may have a temperature setting and then they have a, a EMF setting. So let's say if the barometer is at a certain level, EMF spikes at eight or nine microteslas and the temperature jumps or, or below, whatever that combination is assigned a number. That number pulls that word out of memory. But it's oh. arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah, the, the so stipulations to find that are just... It's all binary. Now, for the, your listeners out there, think about this. For for a ghost to, to answer a question like, you know, did you, you know, did you die here? Uh, yes, or whatever. Okay, whatever they say. They would have to first figure out if the word yes is embedded in the memory chip. And they would have to go through software. First, they have to learn software you know, whatever software application it is. So after they learn what type of software application it is, uh, which they have to reverse engineer it through a binary, ones and zeros, <laughs> to, to, to see what that word is, okay? Okay, now I figured out going through software and through reverse binary figuring that, okay, now, yes, it's in there. Okay, now what do I have to do to bring that word out? Well, the software, embedded software says in binary code, that I have to change the environment. So I have to change the the EMF field, I have mm-hmm. to drop the temperature, raise the temperature, and I have to change the barometer. So all this has got to happen to pull that one word out from a ghost. It doesn't work. It's a freaking toy. Now what people do, and I've been on ghost adventures, and um, what a lot of these, and I forget the name of the person who designed it, but I'll tell you, what they can do is... And they have a, a techie person that he he can put because if it's a if it's if it's a ROM, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, or EEPROM or something that you can reload names, you'll put the names of the crew of you know your name okay. and the name, and that'll pop up. 
and then you'll put their names in um, when conditions are most common. Okay, like normal temperatures, normal barometer settings, normal EVP, uh, EMFs, like maybe four microteslas, is generally, you know, s static. And that name will pop up more. And then you'll throw in death, mm -hmm. you know, or, or anger, or blah, you know. So it, it's a toy. <laughs> and I know Ghost Adventures still use it, and, it's, and they shouldn't. But you have to see Ghost Adventures, you know, it's all about that. It's all about the, you know, the money. They've got the, and the snake oil salesman. The, uh, the other one that, and we were talking about the Connect system for Xbox, that you see the little, mm -hmm. little stick figures. And I was going to write a blog on that. Uh, that doesn't work when you hold it. That's just the way it is. Okay, so if you see any ghost shows on TV, and, you know, the one I have has got a handle on it, so you can walk around, ooh, you know. Okay, the software was designed, the algorithm in the software was designed for the Connect system to be stationary. Right. Okay, that's how it works. It's stationary. The person in front of it is moving, mm -hmm. right? That's how you can play tennis and all kinds of bowl and all that stuff. Now, if... Per, if, if you're pointing at something that's stationary, but you're moving it, the algorithm, the software doesn't understand that the connect system is moving and not the object it's pointing at. So if you point it at a chair, mm -hmm. but you're gradually just moving it just a little tiny bit, shaking yeah. it, the Xbox, I mean, the connect system will make it look like that somebody's moving and it'll throw a stick figure out there and it'll dance around. And I've done some experiments with, that's why I, I, I dropped the coin to buy one. And it was just, it was over 250 just so I could experiment. And now, and, and I would experimented uh, shooting it at things that were reflective and shooting at things that were stationary. And I got stick figures. Did a little now, myth busting. Yeah, and, and so it's busted. But yeah. if, if you take the Connect system and you put it on a table and leave it stationary, if something walks by that can trigger it, you'll catch it. Now, this is the cool part. So, you know, as long as investigators know it does work, but you have you can't hold it. You have you can't to set it move. Up. You have to put yeah. it in the stationary. So I was thinking about building on my own. And then having two of them set up, triangulating towards something, you know, two sides of the room, pointing to an area. And um, if something happens to walk by, I'll, 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 both of them should pick it up. Not one, both of them. Now, if both of them pick them up, then I know I've got something. If one picks it up and the other one doesn't, that that's still like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe not. Do you uh, think you that know? the Roswell crash there... Because I think that's uh, that's what you're most known for is your your Was Roswell experience, right? And that, and of course, the 37th parallel. But and, and cattle mutilation stuff. I, I think that's yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I you know I when I first got involved in ufology, I was looking at crash sites. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, Aztec and, and and Roswell. But the reason why I picked Roswell because I was living in Southern California. And it was easy access for me. Now, if, if, if anybody out there has read The 37th Parallel, the book that was written about me by Ben Bezrick, you'll know that, that very early on, I had a small RV. And, and even before that, when we would go on vacations, um, I, the, my vacation would 
be by the way of Roswell or, you know, Chaco Canyon or Taos, New Mexico, or, or, you know, places that were having, uh, you know, sightings. And I was always stopping there. And my poor kids, he was just, okay, dad, will you, well, give me a couple hours or give me a half a day. You know, <laughs> I, I, I figured that into the, uh, uh, you know, to the vacation. So we've been to Roswell a few times because it was pretty easy to get to Roswell. And then from Roswell, get up to Interstate 40 and then shoot across the U.S. to go visit relatives in Indiana or whatever. And um, and when I first started going into Roswell, I I, I I became friends with Glenn Dennis, who was the mortician. The original mortician that, you know, that uh, hit the nurse had told him about the bodies and and you know and then the military asked him about the child coffins and stuff, and um, it got to the point where he knew me so well that he trusted me, and and one year I was there with my sister and we were talking to him and and uh, oh my god I forgot I can't believe I just forgot the other guy's name I apologize but um, and. Dennis took me to his office, my sister and I, and gave me uh, GPS coordinates to the uh, BLM marker that's, that was near the debris site. And then I had a Jeep at the time, and so we basically got on, a, got on the closest um, county road, and we just forbide across <laughs> across the high desert, yeah. you know, Lincoln County near Corona to these GPS coordinates. And then based on what we've known or what we had learned Years before that, we were able to find the exact location based on descriptions and stuff of where the debris site was. Um, and then we got involved in 2002, was it? Or 2000? Maybe it was 2000 and then again in 2002 on the Sci-Fi Channel. We did two archaeology digs there. And that's where the first one, we actually found a piece of metal. Uh, that's a whole long story, but to make a long, long, long story short... Uh, we were just supposed to be there as uh, volunteer archaeologists just for the sci-fi show. and um, But my sister and I are UFO investigators. You know, she's uh, um, head of uh, MUFON in Missouri, and she's also on the board of directors for MUFON. And uh, MUFON is a mutual UFO network, which is international. And uh, so we, after they were done filming, we, I wanted to go. I wanted to do archaeology work in an area that I thought would be better suited than where the cameras thought it was better for TV. Mm -hmm. So uh, we came back after the camera crew left, and uh, we, you know, with approval of Dr. Bill Doman, the lead archaeologist from the University of New Mexico, allowed us to do it. We came back the day after everybody left, and uh, and I talked to Dr. Bill. I said, "Okay, listen." Forget about all the places that we just got finished digging for the past four days. I said, now, based on what you know as an archaeologist and a miner in geology, uh, where would the water settle after 50-some years, right? 60 years, whatever it was, uh, you know, during, during you know, uh, rainstorms. I want to know where the water would settle. Forget about we're not, you know, it's, it's you're looking for a needle in a haystack when you're looking for debris. But the debris so light and it was still there, you know, erosion is going to take care of that and, 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 and you know, uh, Mother Nature. So uh, he looked at the maps and he looked at some satellite maps. He goes, and we were good 20 feet away from where we were digging for the TV show. And I said, okay, this is what I want to do. If it's okay, I want to do strip digs. And I learned how to do strip digging uh, 
when my wife and I, uh, we were doing an Anazazi dig in Arizona a couple of years before. The strip dig is like one meter by five meters. And you only go down, well, you go down as far as you want to look. Anazazi, you're going back, you know, you know, eight, nine hundred years. But right. with Roswell, we just need to go back, you know, you know, 50, 60 years, right? So we only need to go down eight to 10 centimeters. That's it. So we're just strip digging. And it was a second uh, one by five meter strip dig that we were doing in an area that Dr. Bill Dolman told us this is where water would settle. That we found this little metal piece, it's a little triangular piece. I was digging, my sister Debbie was sifting, and this thing is about the size of your little fingernail, adult fingernail. And uh, and and when she found it, as soon as she she had it upon her hand, it would it would float around. It was you know, so she had to hold it. Not yeah, not float, it was it was just so light that the slightest breeze would blow it away, right? Okay. So she's holding it, but the sun or something called caused all three corners of this little triangular artifact to curl up. So we don't know if it was solar radiation or just light sunlight in particular or heat, just general heat. But when you put it in a little manila envelope, it would go flat again. You take it out in the sunlight, it would all curl up in all three sides. So we contacted Sci-Fi Channel. We contacted the, you know, uh, the Roswell Museum there, and they go, well, now nah, we don't want to do anything with it. Well, because they're at the time, the curators of the Roswell Museum, they're gone now, but they were, they were more concerned about the TV show than anything else. We, were, we weren't supposed to find anything. We were just there, you know, for the TV show. That's the bottom line. So, um, and, and they, they cataloged, they, they, they took the pieces that we found, they paid a lab $25 per piece, I think it was, to look at it. And when they got to the piece that we had found, they said, well, it, it resembles the backside of duct tape. And that was the end of that. And so, you know, it was, you know, it was archived in the Indiana Jones, you know, <laughs> oh. big warehouse. And so, um, I was able to locate it. And I oh. did a press, uh, I was able to locate it. And Dr. Bill Doman, he's such a nice guy. Um, and, you know, he was able to help me locate it. We located it. And I said, is there any way you could send that to me so I could, I could test it myself? He says, well, it hasn't been officially curated yet because it's still in limbo. So there's no check-in or check-out process at the time. Now just there take is. It. Right. So he just mailed it to me. Yeah. <laughs> And so I get this. At the time, I was working at a microchip company. I'm, I'm, I'm a contractor. I contract because um, I, I learned that when you're salary, you just can't leave anytime you want to, right? Because you have to ask permission. But mm -hmm. as a contractor, you just say, All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm a contractor. I'm not an employee. So right? it'll do it. <laughs> so I had him email it to me. I, I'm sorry, mail it, snail mail it to me. And uh, and a, a company I was working at had an electron scanning microscope there. Now, electron scanning microscopes uh, in that particular company is used to look at a microchip. And microchips, well, when I design a microchip, I'm, I'm laying down pieces of metal that are 0.08 microns wide. Okay. Maybe the wide metals might be five microns wide. You know, I mean, I think your hair grows so many microns in a second. But um, so. 
this electron scanning microscope, what it does is it it it, it looks down. Well, it was looking at different parts of a microchip, and then it the, it would reflect the light back, and it reflect the light back, and it would hit the different elements of the periodic table of what was in, what was at that particular place. So, when I put when we put the little piece in there, it came back as an aluminum silicon hmm. alloy, aluminum silicon alloy. And what does okay. that mean? Not a bat, not a piece of uh, of of duct tape, but an aluminum silicon alloy. And uh, and then I compared it with a regular piece of aluminum, and it came back totally all aluminum, no, no silicon. Matter of fact, there was trace elements of um, oh hell, I shoot, I just forgot what was the I could see the word of my, but it's been such a long time right. since I talk about this, like titanium, <laughs> in that also. So it was pretty cool. So I go okay, Roswell's coming up. I'm going to be lecturing at Roswell for the Civic Center, my sister and I. So we decided to do a press release. We did a press release there and said, hey, we've gone as far as we can go, you know, on our own budget to do this. Now we need an actual lab to do this. And guess who popped up and, and, uh, and offered? Hmm. Yeah, well, um, that would be uh, Bass, B-A-A-S. Um, which was owned by the the, the, the billionaire that um, that was being funded recently. We found out in 2017, 18 that the Pentagon was funding him. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. His corporation, yeah. So um, so Bash shows up and says, "Okay, you know, we want to see it." And uh, so I sent it to him properly, you know, co- under a controlled environment, you know, to them, and. Uh, Within a week, I got an email back saying, well, um, it doesn't match any of the known or the common polymers that we have on catalog at our lab. Now, I didn't send them the whole piece. I just um, I made the University of New Mexico where it's, where it's being housed. I had them cut a piece off. So there's still a piece there, uh, you know, in archive. And um, learned your lesson the first time. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't. Yeah, you never, never. If you have a piece of UFO, you never send them the whole piece because you'll never see it again. Yeah. And I can't even guarantee when they sent the piece back that it's actually the same piece. It doesn't matter. But uh, but when it came back, my email came back and said it's an unknown polymer based on the common polymers that the uh, you know the lab has, and uh, it doesn't mean it's not from this planet. It just means it's not common. And I said, I said, okay. Uh, you know, what's going to happen next? What are you guys going to do next? And they said, well, we're going to do an isotope analysis. And um, an isotope analysis is basically um, you're finding out whether or not the isotopes are f- familiar with this, earth, with this earth, right? So I said, oh, great, isotope analysis. So I didn't hear anything for a year. Um, I... Uh, I was just trying to get the actual name, but anyway, I'll, I'll just let it go. But uh, so I was on my computer for all you listeners out there trying yeah. to <laughs> trying to get some more information because it's been a while since I've talked about this. Uh, so uh, basically, I would I would contact them and they'd say, "Well, th- your project's being moved to another department. There's another scientist working on it, or another em- engineer working on it." And then, where is it now? Well, it's 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 been moved. Well, we don't know. A year later, almost to the week, 
they, they, they say, oh, it was nothing. We're sending it back to the museum. And I'm going, you lying bastards. <laughs> and you think that was the Pentagon getting in the way of good research? You think that because it was a, a Pentagon-funded organization that yes. someone said, oh, we're not going to let this guy get the real info? No, no, yeah. they, were, they were hiding it. Now, I can't guarantee that it was actually alien. Okay. But it was something they um, don't want you to know about. But it was it wasn't anything that was common. It wasn't right. it wasn't any type of aluminum foil from a cigarette package or you know or, or, or whatever. It was it was definitely not common and then we found it under eight centimeters of dirt in the middle of the desert. Assuming okay. it was, you know, forty, fifty years old because of the place that it was at, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. that far because yeah, it was about eight centimeters down. And Robert Bigelow. Okay, remember Robert Bigelow? Mm-hmm. Okay, Robert Bigelow was the guy that was funded for um that you know that 22 or 30 million dollars a pentagon was funding for mm-hmm. that all that money went to bigelow and you and robert, think that it's and robert bigelow's in charge of bass you think that it kind of presented itself as hey we're gonna actually investigate ufos when it was actually in cahoots with the government to cover up yes. ufos so what's well, up with the government kind of admitting that in recent times being like hey yeah there's some stuff out there the uaps is weird they call them uaps now but yeah. the government's kind of admitted, I don't know if it's like, you know, a media distraction or another, they want to hide information about programs they're working on. What's your take on this? On the government kind of saying, yeah, those well, there's, there's, uh, those are UFOs, those are UAPs, we don't know what they are. Well, there's also the, well, sorry, the COVID relief no, bill. There's something go in Go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, there's, there's something in like the COVID stimulus package. Right, right. That by the end of... I think it's by the end of this year they have to release like if UFOs exist or not. Well, what it is is, um, and if your listeners want to go to my website ufonut.com, um, I did write a little blog called UFO Disclosure Coming, and uh, basically what that is is it kind of tells you that the during the Trump administration towards the end of the year, mm-hmm. uh, you know they were basically set up the stimulus package um, in, in the fiscal 2021 budget. And embedded in there is, uh, you know, and I forget the name of the senator that actually did it. I had it. I think I had it here somewhere. I was trying to get prepared for this, um, but unfortunately, uh, my my microphone wasn't working as well. So I was working on that so you could hear me. Um, Anyway, um, a senator had, had, had embedded this couple paragraphs in there that basically said you had uh was it 180 days or so anyway by the end of june uh so by the end of this month that the dod or or not the dod but uh you know uh, the department uh to the two departments uh one similar to the dod and, and the other one that the pentagon has set up for ufo watch or you know ufo activity a year or so ago have to have to at least come up and say okay uh you know what's coming out what have we found so far and that was the fart locker with jt and robert join us next week for part two of our interview with ufo hunter chuck zakowski